Hi, I'm Jack Hacharella. And I'm Aaron Parnas. And this is Zoomed In. On this week's episode of Zoomed In, Aaron and I will start off by hitting the headlines and talking about the Biden administration's effort to pass their $3.5 trillion spending deal. After that, we will jump into an incredible interview with Democratic candidate for New York's 21st District, Matt Perforti, and finish up with Tweets of the Week. Aaron, you excited for this week's episode? I am pumped, Jack. Absolutely. So let's not waste any time. Let's zoom in. Aaron, let's hit the headlines. Let's do it, Jack. So we start off this week talking about a certain individual who has spent probably the last eight months getting in the way of the popular Biden administration policies. Now, if you guessed Joe Manchin, you were close. This individual is Kirsten Cinema. Now, Cinema is currently holding objections to drug pricing reforms in the Biden Build Back Better bill that will lower prescription drug prices for all Americans. This policy was being pushed even in the previous administration by Donald Trump and holds broad support amongst the American people. So, Aaron, uh, what the hell is Kirsten Cinema doing? I, I honestly have no idea. I mean, this is not a smart political move in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it has 90% support among the American people, both Republicans, Democrats, independents. Everyone supports this, supports lowering prescription drug prices for all Americans. And she's really just throwing a roadblock um, in front of the popular Biden agenda. And, it, and it's really sad to see. Uh, Senator Cinema was elected in 2018 in this blue wave, um, being the, one of the first Democrats to be ever be elected statewide in Arizona. And the Democratic Party really was excited um, to have a Democrat leading the state. But then what's the point of having a Democrat leading the state if she's just going to obstruct all of our Democratic policies? She might as well have just been a Republican. All of them. Honestly, all of them getting in the way of, you know, we're talking about lowering prescription drug prices and getting in the way of voting rights, namely the, the, the say the one of the most important things that Kirsten Cinema is standing in the way of with her colleague Joe Manchin. I ask, do you think that we could potentially in the future see a primary challenge from a Democrat in Arizona, maybe as an effort? We talked about pressure cooker Joe last week starting to pressure Senate Democrats, moderate Senate Democrats to um, go ahead and move forward with the voting rights bill. Um, but do you think a potential primary challenge is what Kirsten Cinema needs to start falling in line with what not only our, our party wants, but what the American people want? This is what the American people want. I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll, we'll definitely see a primary challenger against Cinema. I mean, I can't imagine more um, left-leaning Democrats or real Democrats won't try to step up and challenge her. My only issue with that is we as a party have a limited amount of resources and a limited amount of candidates and a limited amount of time. And focusing our efforts on primarying, primarying popular senators isn't really worth it. I mean, for all of her faults, she is still very popular in Arizona. Um, Arizonans still like her. Um, and I think our efforts will be better spent on continuing to push her um, to support our policies. Because just not too long ago, Cinema was a very, very... Um, left and very, very progressive congresswoman. I mean, she, this move to the right has been documented for years now. And I think that we just need to stop it and get her back on track and get her back on board with the Biden Build Back Better agenda. Because if we don't do that soon, she's going to cost us the, uh, she's going to cost us in 24. Um, and possibly in, in, in yeah. 22, if we're not moving forward on some sort of voting rights bill, 
to 100%. ensure the democratic elections are fair and free to all. Now, Aaron, I can I can hear you out on saying that a potential primary challenge may be costly. It may be, you know, uh, destructive to just mm-hmm. you know, the party in Arizona and generally uh, in general. And that's not something we want. But what can young people do to put that pressure on Kirsten Sinema? Like, what is what is our responsibility in communicating that this is not only what Americans want broadly, but this is what young people want. And it's important that we have our voices heard in that regard. So I think the best thing young people can do is get out there on the streets, um, call her office, protest her decisions, um, and show that we want politicians who are going to build back better for our future, for the future of Gen Zers, for the future of millennials. And the only way to do that is to make a big stink out of it um, in in a lot of ways. And that, but also if you're a young person, you get politically involved. You go run for your local school board, go run for your local state Senate, state house, because I get, I, I, I guarantee you in 10, 15 years, you're going to be the one in the wheelhouse to be the next Senator from Arizona or the next Senator from Florida or wherever. Um, so, and I, I firmly believe that the only way you can really change policy, if you really want to change policy, you got to become the policymaker. So for young people, go, go run go help other campaigns, donate, um, protest, get on the ground, make calls to your Senator and let's get to work um, because we shouldn't have the slim majority in the Senate. 50-50 should not be where we're at. We should be at at least 52-53. We, we, yeah. we can't afford to have the entire Build Back Better agenda rely All on, on, the, the, on the, you know, the shoulders on, of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. But, but the no. thing is, it's like Manchin is a very blue dog Democrat in a very Republican state. I, I get why he doesn't support many Democratic policies. And same but thing with Sinema. It's different for Sinema. Well, it's a little different. It's I think, a little, you know, it, it, it's but a we look different. at Mark Kelly, that was someone who was able to win and, and is right. supporting these same policies and was running on these policies with Joe Biden. So I don't think that Kirsten Cinema should be afraid to come out in support of policies, especially like we've talked about that have such broad support amongst Americans. So really, the general message here is this is what we want. We've elected you to represent us. Right. Please do so. That's it. Just please like, pick up a poll and look at it and see the, the big number that says, hey, people like this. And that's mm-hmm. your job. So just. Go out there, Kirsten Cinema, and just do us a couple of favors. One yeah. being, let people vote. The other being, let us uh, maybe lower the cost of prescription drugs. And let's keep this thing moving, because that's what the American people want. Yeah, and I mean, listen, we're talking about how Senator Cinema is really obstructing the Build Back Better agenda. Someone else earlier this week who put forth an obstructionary mes- me- measure is the mm. Senate parliamentarian. Um, when yeah. earlier this week they ruled that the Senate that Senate Democrats could not include a pathway to citizenship for undocumented undocumented immigrants in their three point five trillion dollar budget bill. Democrats had planned to provide a pathway to citizenship for as many as eight of eight million of the 11 million undocumented immigrants in the United States, including many who have lived here for years. I mean, our country has needed immigration reform badly ever since 1986, which was the last time an immigration bill was ever passed. And it's really sad to see that. Democrats are unable, according to the parliamentarian, to include this in their bill. Um, Jack, what do you think about these efforts? Well, the, the disappointing thing is, you know, what I, what I hear a lot of calls for, like, let's get rid of the parliamentarian. You know, it's been done before. Let's just give them the old boot, right? And say, sorry, you're not going to follow what we want necessarily. We're going to have to relieve you of your duties. And we are going to bring a new parliamentarian uh, who will allow us to get these things done. Now, doing so is under the assumption that a Kirsten Cinema or a Joe Manchin afterwards would come on board and help us pass this legislation. 
Now, I don't think that's something that's going to happen because mm-hmm. if the Senate parliamentarian is ruling against it, uh, if a new Senate parliamentarian is introduced, I don't think Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema would then get on board. I think they, uh, you, you know where they stand on the filibuster. You know where they stand on Senate procedure generally. Um, even if this obstruction was taken out of the way, I don't think they'd be on board passing um, the legislation, which is the most disheartening part of this is that I, I don't necessarily see, and, you know, and we usually like to be optimistic about these things and, right. and do see the pathway. But if they're unwilling to get on board because of procedural issues, um, there's not a ton that can be done here. It just goes back to our point of we cannot have only 50 votes in the Senate. If we want to pass our legislation, uh, we need to turn out in 2022 and make sure that we expand our majority. Enough talk about keeping it. We got to expand our majority, okay? I'm talking Uh, Pennsylvania. I'm talking Ohio. And of course, you know I'm talking Florida. So that is what the focus is going to be. It is going to be building back better in 2022 as well because we are going to build back a better Senate, a broader Senate, and a, guess what, bluer Senate, because that's how we're going to get things done, Aaron. 100%. And I think with this immigration bill in particular, I mean, I think it's all, it, it really boils down to whether or not you're, you have humanity towards people. I mean, these 8 million individuals have lived in our country. Many of them have, contribute to our economy. They don't have criminal records. They uh, oftentimes do more for our country than actual American citizens. This is true. Um, and they, many of them fled their home countries, whether in Latin America, um, whether in Central South America or um, elsewhere, because they were fleeing persecution, because they were fleeing danger and violence. Many of these policymakers, many of the Republicans and even Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema on the Democratic side, they haven't been in a position where they had to flee their own country or flee their home because they were, because they were under threats that they were going to be killed or that their children were going to be taken. I mean it's really bad. And and we're really grateful to live in such an amazing, in an amazing country like the United States of America, because it's so free and because we are able to be a lot safe, a lot safer, but not many people, not everyone has that uh, is afforded that same opportunity. So it's really sad to see that people, more people aren't getting on board with immigration reform, not just a pathway to citizenship for the 11 million undocumented immigrants in America, but also um, creating a way for, an easier way for individuals to seek asylum, to cross the border, um, and to become citizens in America. Because right now the system is just a plain mess. We need more judges, we need more beds, we need more money, more resources. Um, No one's advocating for open borders, but we're advocating for an immigration system that actually works for immigrants. And And what we both can agree on, and and what I know we both can agree on is this country was built on immigrants coming and making America a better place and we should be encouraging that, not discouraging that. Um, you were about that, to say making America great again, weren't you, Jack? I was not. <laughs> I'm kidding. I was not, Aaron. Do you see a red hat in here? No, I no. don't. Thank God. Thank, oh, thank God. Wow. <laughs> we wouldn't be doing this podcast. That's right true. Now. Oh, man. And now that that is cleared up, uh, <laughs> I think that we've hit the headlines. And we are going to hop into an incredible interview with Matt Petorti. So stick around for that. Aaron, tell me something. Do you like saving time? Of course. Now, do you like saving money? Yeah, 100%. Then, then I got something to tell you. You're going to want to check out stamps.com. Now, if you're a person listening to this show and you've got a small business, you know there's nothing more valuable than your time. 
So stop wasting it on trips to the post office and get stamps.com. Stamps.com makes it easy to mail and ship right from your computer. Stamps.com brings the service of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're in office sending invoices, maybe you got a little side hustle going on Etsy, or it's a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier, guaranteed. That, Jack, that sounds so awesome. And you know, for those of you listening today, you guys get a special offer and you can save time and money with stamps.com and there's absolutely no risk involved. With our promo code zoomed in, you get a special offer that includes a four week free trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts are necessary. So if you wanna take advantage of this awesome offer, just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in, zoomed in that's stamps.com promo code zoomed in stamps.com never go to the post office again this week we are so excited to be joined by matt torty who is running for congress who's an attorney i'm running in new york's 27th district against well-known qanon republican elise stefanik Uh, matt we are so excited to have you here with us today Thank you so much for having me. I'm super impressed by all the work that you're doing um, and very grateful that you uh, reached out to talk about this race. Yeah, so absolutely. Let's yeah, so let's just, yeah, like Aaron is about to say, let's just jump into it, Aaron. I was kind of jumping on you right there, but uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Um, so Matt, could you please tell our listeners a little bit more about your background and what motivated you to run for Congress and to get into this race? Sure. Uh, So I grew up in the district that Elise Stefanik represents currently. I grew up in a very small town of about 4,000 people, um, and my family's been here for generations. So to kind of tell you a little bit about my background and maybe why I'm interested, I have to tell a little bit of the family story as well. So my great-grandmother immigrated to the U.S. in the early 1900s, and by the time she was married and had three children, her family didn't have enough money. And so she moved her family to the second floor of their home and started a little grocery store on the first floor. So if you picture this, it's, you know, this Italian immigrant woman doesn't speak a lot of English, has three children. It's 1927 and she's going to open a business. If you flash forward to today, my parents own this business in our small little town of Whitehall. Um, which over the course of its life has employed hundreds of people. Like, I mean, it is definitionally a small business. It is a, a, it's a small town, small business. Um, but that business has embedded my family in this community and really affected my upbringing because my parents were very involved in the community as business owners, right? Any organization that you can imagine that existed in town, they were involved in. My father at one point was the mayor. My mother was on the town council. Um, and So their ethos of service to community was something that was a part of my daily life growing up. I mean, I remember as a kid sitting in the living room doing homework while my parents were having meetings with adults of, you know, whatever community issues were going on. And so it's always been expected of in my family and in my community that you do what you can to serve others. Um, And the way that I describe the town where I grew up is a, I describe it as a spaghetti dinner town. Um, And what I mean by that is it is a place where when there is somebody or a family who is experiencing 
usually some type of health emergency, and they don't have enough health insurance or money to cover those expenses, the town will get together and throw a spaghetti dinner for that family and raise some money. And I love that about the place where I grew up. It's also really frustrating to me because we shouldn't have to have a, a system in a country like the US where your healthcare needs are determined by how much pasta your community can sell. But it does really show how people are invested in the lives of other people. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that at some point I would always want to do public service work, but like Aaron, I also knew I always wanted to be a lawyer. So um, I went to college um, and then I, I served actually, in, I did one year of volunteer service work in AmeriCorps. This was kind of uh, right after Hurricane Katrina. So we were doing a lot of Gulf, Gulf Coast recovery. And I did another year of service in Sudan um, just at the end of the Darfur crisis. So I did those and then I came back to, the, uh, to do law school and uh, law school is very expensive. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, as Aaron can attest. Yep. <laughs> um, and so, um, but, and I also wanted to hone my skills as a lawyer. So I decided to go into practice so that I could try to make a little money to pay back some of my law school loans and also hone my skills as to become the best lawyer that I could possibly be. And so I spent most of my legal career uh, fighting insurance companies who refused to pay claims on behalf of policyholders. But again, in the back of my mind, I always had this idea to, to somehow serve the public. So as I'm thinking about how to do this, when is the right time to do this, right? I am currently 37. When is the right time to do this? What experience do I need to do this? I see Elise Stefanik, who represents my hometown, start to make her shift, her pivot, her radicalization um, to become a very staunch ally of Donald Trump. And to understand how significant, I mean, that's significant just as an isolated event, but to understand the full significance, if you take a step back and think when she first ran, she presented herself as this moderate, bipartisan, Mm -hmm. young member of Congress who, when Donald Trump was the nominee, wouldn't even say his name. She referred to him as my party's candidate. So for her to go from that to now defending him in the impeachment, voting to uh, against certifying election results in Pennsylvania, um, to so that's on January 6th. I see all of this happen and I think I can't not do something. Mm -hmm. And I've always said I wanted to serve. What the hell am I waiting for? Do it, be bold, take the risk and stand up to her because somebody has to. And so that's all of those reasons. I mean, there's many more too, but you know, lots of reasons that motivated this run. Um, and I'm, I'm so happy to be in this race um, and so appreciative for the support that people are, are throwing behind it um, because it's existential. Like it, it, is, it is really, really um, important. Uh, no, I, I fully agree with you. Um, and I think that more people really need to get behind this kind of groundswell movement to get Elise Stefanik out of Congress. It, it's so important. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned you were 37 years old, and if elected, um, you'll be still one of the younger members in Congress. What, in your opinion, will be the role of Gen Z, uh, millennials in the 2022 election, and how can younger people like yourself 
um, who want to be active politically join the fight to help flip New York's 21st district. I, I love that you're referring to me as young, so let's, <laughs> let's first get that on the table. Um, I think there's a lot of work that, that my generation and generations younger than me, Gen Z, we can do. And I think sometimes I remember, you know, when I was in my early 20s kind of thinking like, the problems seem too big and I don't have any experience and I don't have the money to do all of the things that I want to do because I'm paying for, for school and maybe people are saving for a home and starting families and how do you have time to do all of the stuff when you're trying to establish yourself? And I understand that and just want to remind people that there's a lot that we can do even if we don't have a lot. Um, and so if I think about what Gen Z can do, it's, you know, first like register to vote um, and actually vote and vote in all elections. Um, it's local elections, it's national elections, every election matters because there are a lot of things that, that we can do for free. Um, voting is one of them. Getting involved in local political parties. Most towns and counties have some type of democratic party organization. Get involved with that write letters to the editors. Um, during the last election cycle, I signed up to write letters to voters in swing districts. You know, I didn't know them, but I wrote letters to them encouraging them to vote. And that cost the price of a stamp. So there's lots of things that we can do that are inexpensive to engage in our democracy. And, but I also think too, um, making sure that we support candidates, we know what's going on with candidates. And again, I, I think there's this hesitation like, oh, I can't give $100 to somebody to a campaign. And so anything else is insignificant. Mm -hmm. I, I wanna dispel that myth right now. You know, Even if you have $5 to give to campaigns, that's a, so appreciated, appreciated and so important. So I think there's a lot that we can do, but the biggest thing is just getting out and, and voting. We see what younger voters can do in President Obama's first election, right? Like that voting block was huge in helping getting him elected. Um, and so we need to be out there and there's a lot that we can do, even though um, we might say that we are too young to do all, any of it. Mm. And, and we completely agree. You know, you talked about what Gen Z was able to do in 2020 and we see the power that we hold when we, are, when we express our voice and we come out in numbers. And that's something that we know we are going to do in 2022. Um, earlier, you talked about the nature of your community and how you loved how it would come together. Um, how do you see the more divisive nature as the, as the GOP, the GQP gets more radicalized um, and you have previously more moderate members of the party like Elise Stefanik turn into the unabashed Trump supporter that she is now? How does that divisiveness play a role in, in a community like yours or start to invest and uh, in, start to become, you know, parts of communities around the country. Yeah, I mean, that trend is really troubling, right? Because when I was growing up here, it was not a community that was divided. Um, and now I can see in some ways that it is. And sometimes it's things like you just look at Facebook comments, right? And some of the things that people say that they wouldn't have said before, and you, you see that division. And people are so black and white about everything, so unequivocal about it. But I see, you know, there's, there's other examples too. I mean, in my community, you see division about vaccines, 
Um, and in this district, a uh, couple of weeks ago, a hospital announced that it was going to have to close its maternity ward because staff members who re refused to get vaccinated quit. I mean, that is a real tangible problem. It's dangerous, right? It's dangerous for women who are pregnant. Um, it's dangerous for the healthcare workers who are staying at the hospital who now have extra burden to shoulder. And so this division has real, it can have real life or death consequences. We also saw that um, Elise was promoting a rally in the district of somebody that she called, quote, a patriot, but who in fact organized up the steel rallies, wow. was at the rally at the Capitol on January 6th, and was part of what the Southern Poverty Law Center called one of the largest anti-Muslim hate groups in America. That is not patriotism at all. But the fact that she would promote this rally in our district, right? Like bringing this hate, bringing this misinformation, bringing these lies directly to our district, which also they couched as a voter registration drive, right? Like it was a rally and voter registration drive. So it's mm -hmm. kind of distraction like, oh, we're actually doing a good thing for democracy by registering to voters. But by the way, we're bringing this person who is in fact a bigot and a traitor to the district. Right. Thankfully, the community organized. We, we were out there talking about it, the community organized, um, and ultimately the rally got canceled. Um, first conveniently, uh, the, the, I don't mean to say anything is convenient, but um, the excuse was that somebody got COVID. Okay. That was why the rally got canceled. Um, but, but it really was, I think, this groundswell of community support saying, we don't want this here, but you can see that there is real real division um, that is something and that's that is so dangerous it is not who we were and it's not who i want us to be mm -hmm. um, and so we need to combat it so i mean we all understand the importance of getting stefanik out of government but let's kind of shift a little bit and talk about your campaign and what you're going to do on your first day in office or rather your first term in office if elected what are your priorities um, the moment you enter congress there's a lot, there's a lot of them. Not free. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the good thing is, I think like we have the resources to do a lot of things simultaneously and do them well. So I, I want to make that point clear, but I think the, some of the biggest things, one is it is the opposite, is the foil to Elise. It is making sure that we're protecting our democracy and shoring up democratic institutions, um, not uh, prevent, not, limiting the right to vote, right? Like we need, at a very fundamental level, we need to protect our democracy. So that has to be a priority for everybody. But I also recognize that there are a lot of things that touch people's daily lives that are as important and, and maybe in some instances more important. And so the first thing, particularly in a district like this in upstate New York, that is rural, it is a rural district, um, making sure that we have good jobs and by good jobs, I mean jobs that pay people well and that also respect the dignity of the worker. Um, this isn't just making sure that somebody's getting paid some amount of money. We wanna make sure that these jobs respect the people who are working in them. Um, it is addressing climate change, which particularly for our generation um, is an existential crisis. There are I think there's always issues that affect people's lives, but there's some issues that just get worse the more time goes on. Climate change is one of them. So we are inheriting, the every day is the worst 
of the climate crisis, and it is only going to continue to get worse. So we need to make sure we are investing in research um, to address this. We're investing in green jobs. We are actively combating this, this climate crisis. And then on a much more micro level, there's a lot of issues that are specific to the district that need to be addressed. Um, and uh, this one might, this stat might blow your mind, but 20% of the people in my dis in this district don't have broadband access. Mm. So it's right, 2021, 20% don't have access. So how can you build a modern economy? And God forbid we ever end up in a situation where we're doing remote learning again, educate the next generation of students when people don't even have access to internet. So, right, it's impossible. Like, and so this is just such a fundamental um, issue that, that we need to be addressing. And then also um, up here, there's a real um, affordable housing crisis, mm -hmm. making sure, so we need to make sure that people have a place to sleep at night that has internet that allows them to do their jobs or educate their children and jobs that will allow them to stay in that middle-class life. Um, and I think those are the priorities that I have are the priorities that people in this district have. Um, and again, I, I don't think we have to say these are priorities that we have to segment. They're interconnected and we, we have the resources to do all of them. We just need to have the will to do them. Absolutely, yeah. And, and Matt, if we could close with one final question, um, you talked about how all of those issues are intertwined and that they all come together, you know, democratic uh, fighting for our, our, our rights to vote, fighting for a cleaner and better future for our environment. But if you had to summarize your candidacy, and it's, it's almost too difficult to do, but just in, in one statement saying why you are right for the people of New York's 21st district, what would you say to a voter? What would you say to our listeners? Why are you right to beat Elise Stefanik? This race is personal for me. This is my community, and I, I want to serve. I want to do right by the people who live here. And I think a problem of our politics that you see exemplified in Elise are politicians who put their party and their personal motivations above what the people that they claim to represent need and want. And so I wanna center the people in this, in this district. My, my family still <laughs> lives here, I live here. This, this matters to me, this is personal to me. Um, and we need to do what is right for those people and also do what is right to make sure that our democracy uh, isn't torn down any more than it already is. Um, so I, I'm so appreciative of any opportunity I get to, to talk about this. Um, I, I'm so impressed by the work that you both are doing. Um, I think it's so important that there are so many uh, great voices in this conversation and making sure that young people, um, you all are much younger than me, but you know, to, have, um, to have that voice uh, here, I, I'm super impressed. Well, if you're, thank you so much for coming on with us today, Matt. And if you are listening to this podcast and you are interested in supporting Matt's candidacy to defeat Elise Stefana, go to patortyforcongress.com. Make a small dollar donation. Now, many people may think, whoa, this is a very red district. Why are we supporting a Democrat here? Well, redistricting is coming up in New York, and this district is not going to be as red as many people think. So Matt has a real chance to really get at one of the worst Congress people we have right now. So go to his website, make a small dollar contribution, and let's get to work. Thank you, Absolutely. Matt. Absolutely. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Aaron's summer is coming to an end. 
and the leaves are about to fall. Now, while Mother Nature does her thing to prepare for the new season, you can do yours by seeing how much you could save on home and auto insurance with Policy Genius. Now, why Policy Genius? I'm going to tell you why, Aaron. It's because Policy Genius makes it easy to compare home and auto insurance in one place. They've saved customers an average of $1,250 per year over what they're paying for home and auto insurance. The team will handle the paperwork to set up your new policy or switch over on your current one. Jack, that's awesome. And let me tell our viewers how it works. So getting started is very easy. Just first head over to policygenius.com, answer a few quick questions about yourself and your, and your property, and then Policy Genius takes it from there. It's that simple. I mean, I was looking for auto insurance recently. I went on to policygenius.com and the folks at Policy Genius took care of me and found me great rates. So essentially what they do is they compare rates from America's top insurers from Progressive to Allstate and find you your lowest quotes. The team then can look for ways to save you more money, including bundling your home and auto policies. And if they find a better rate than what you're paying now, they'll switch you over for free. Their top-notch service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. And I'm gonna give them another one because they have been awesome from when I've been using them. You absolutely should. So if that sounds good to you, head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Aaron, it's time for everyone's favorite segment, and I think it's yours. That's Tweets of the Week. Our first tweet comes from Deacon Blues talking about prescription drug pricing. He says, Why is charging $50 for a $6 case of water during a hurricane considered price gouging, but charging $700 for a $5 vial of insulin considered healthcare? It's true. That is true. Now we move on to a tweet from one of our favorite tweeters out there, and that is Dan Rather. Dan tweeted, to all who believe the United States is in inevitable decline, I would like to introduce you to almost any one of the young people I have met in recent years. There is energy, there is action, and there is hope. And Jack, he actually tweeted at you too, um, didn't he? He did. Um, I, I quote tweeted Dan's tweet uh, and told him how grateful I was for spreading the message of Gen Z, um, spreading the message that we you know, deliver every week on the Zoomed In podcast. Uh, and he actually did respond. It was one of the coolest things that has ever happened to me. Uh, and this was a big fangirl moment for Jeff. This was a big fangirl. I was jumping around um, in my friend's dorm. I actually tackled him because I was so <laughs> excited. It was a happy tackle, so it's fine. Uh, he totally understood the situation. He's a Texan, so he gets how excited people can get about Dan Rather. And I was quite excited about Dan Rather. So thank you, uh, Mr. Rather, for spreading the, uh, the good word of Gen Z. Um, and finally, our, uh, our final tweet of the week. It's a quote tweet. Uh, so someone tweeted, I am sick of the words the unvaccinated like we're vampires or something jeesh and then uh someone by the handle of bakun <laughs> responded no vampires are cool and live for a long time no literally the unvaccinated the unvaccinated are not cool <laughs> the unvaccinated are not cool and often uh don't live for that long of a time um, so no you are not vampires because vampires are cool and they live forever and that is tweets of the week And that's our show. 
Thank you for listening and thank you to Democratic candidate Matt Retorti for coming on for that incredible interview. Um, that is going to be an important race in New York against MAGA crazy Trump supporting Elise Stefanik. Uh, and, and that is a race that we can win and that is a race we need to win. Um, so thank you, Matt, for coming on. And thank you to you, our listeners, every week, every Wednesday for coming and Zooming in with us. Uh, we appreciate your support uh, more than you know. And if you would like to share that support with us um, or any thoughts you have about the show, please rate our show, leave us a review. Um, tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, for uh, sure. Absolutely. So Aaron, where can the people find you? On all of my socials, at Aaron Parnas. What about you, Jack? You can find me at JD Cacciarella on Twitter. That's J-D-C-O-C-C-H-I-A-R-E-L-L-A. Thank you so much for tuning in. Come zoom in with us next week.